Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. And that is specifically the case today as we have the opportunity to talk to our guest, Bob Dealey, Ph.D., founder and president of RDLB, Inc., an economic research and management consulting firm out of the Chicago area, and uh, publishers of the No Spin Forecast, an economic forecasting tool that looks a year ahead. Dr. Bob, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. It's a pleasure. So, Dr. Bob, you've got a Ph.D. from University of Texas, 1977, so you're a young guy like me. Uh, You worked for a couple of decades plus doing economic research and portfolio management for Continental Illinois Northern Trust and possibly others. You managed at one time in the mid-90s, $3.5 billion, which in the mid-90s had to be one of the larger ones. And now you're an economic consultant to corporations and you provide the no-spin forecast reports for corporations and individuals. So, Bob, give us a brief background of yours, and don't be too modest here. Well, as you mentioned, I started uh, back in the late 1970s at Continental, where I did, uh, at the beginning, uh, things relating to manufacturing and making things, pretty much all of the commodities, uh, because Continental, part of their major lending business, uh, was in those areas. Shortly after that, I moved to another part of the bank where I was the guy who kept score while we flew the bank in, uh, into the side of the mountain. You may recall that Continental was the first bank that was too big to fail. Definitely I do. Was in, and I was in the department in which we kept score, which also gave me a preview of pretty much everything that happened in 2000 and, from 2006 to 2009 as to how a in that case, the banking system, but in previously one bank, blows up. And we can talk about that later. I then moved to the Northern Trust, where I did uh, economic research for about seven years, getting back into macroeconomics and uh, that kind of stuff, which is also where I began to do most of the heavy work uh, on uh, the product that I sell now, Nosebin Forecast. And then after that, as you mentioned, I was in the trust department. I managed money for very wealthy people. Uh, the $3.5 billion that I had actually within the realm of the northern was not that big a bunch of money, so to speak. Uh, we had more than a trillion dollars of assets under management at that time. And so what I had was not inconsiderable, but it wasn't didn't actually get me into the executive dining room. So after that, I uh, left uh, to start RDLB. I've been doing this now on a subscription basis since about 2003. I have about 250 clients who uh, buy the service. They're all over the world, which is an astounding event to me to to tell people I have clients in Denmark and Australia. Uh, Most of my clients are in the U.S., and a fair chunk of them are money managers. But a lot of them are in other parts of the economy, primarily agriculture, trucking, manufacturing, where through a variety of circumstances I've developed some clientele. So that's about it on me, and let you uh, 
take it from here. Uh, Bob, thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to go back for, for just a second. We would like to have you back on the show, okay, and do an entire segment on what happened at Continental, what happened from 2006 to 2008, and where are we today? Can we do that at some point? Absolutely. It'd be hey, my pleasure. Would love to do that. So tell us about no-spin forecast. This is a very, very interesting economic forecasting tool. Well, I worked for banks who are probably in the most cyclical business in the economy, either because of what happens in the financial system directly through monetary policy or what happens to their clients. And so as a result of that and some other things I did in grad school, I began to look at the business cycle, and I discovered what is really a fairly simple uh, set of variables that you can look at that will give you a reliable uh, indicator of when the business cycle peaks and the business cycle troughs will take place. It has a forecast horizon, a reliable forecast horizon of about a year. Beyond that, you know, I would, if people ask me what's going to happen in 2020, I'd say, I don't know. But I have a pretty good feel for what's going to happen between here and, uh, let's say, the end of 2018, which looks like the expansion that we've been in since uh, June of 2009 is going to continue. But I will add right now, I don't forecast GDP. I don't forecast the stock market. Those things are separate issues. The business cycle turning points, however, are things that can be uh, identified and, uh, in some cases, you can get pretty close to when the National Bureau of Economic Research, who are the people who actually decide when peaks and troughs occur, are going to put those dates. So uh, that's, in a nutshell, what it is. As you've mentioned, uh, the website is nospinforecast.com, and on there we have a couple of tabs that explain the method a little bit more. We also have a contact page if people want to get in touch with me, and I'll be glad to email them or uh, talk with them, uh, whichever they prefer. So, Bob, uh, you, part of yours, uh, as we have talked uh, before, part of your forecasting is through the business cycle. And uh, you show on your site there are six phases to the business cycle. You know, I uh, read the book a few years ago. This time is different. Uh, Rogoff uh, out of Harvard with, with a lady here. Is the business cycle as valid today with all of the changes we have with technology, et cetera, in society, in the financial world, et cetera? It is, is it as valid today as it was decades ago? Absolutely. The cyclicality of the economy is just the fact that economic activity expands and contracts over time. And you can track how it is expanding, why it is expanding, and whether the expansion will continue. So you mentioned six phases. Actually, if you go to the simplest part, you have the expansion phase and you have the contraction phase. But in the expansion phase, there are some segments that you can break up that perform I'm not going to say in unique ways, but in different ways from the simple expansion. For example, as you come off a business cycle trough, the end of the recession, you're in something that I call the recovery phase, in which you get mixed economic news because recessions don't start and end in all sectors of the economy at the same time. So you can have some people telling you that things are getting better and some people telling you that things are still getting worse. But if on net the economy has started to expand, you're in the expansion, but you're in the recovery. 
after you go through the expansion phase, the standard expansion phase, which is where I think we are now, you get into something which I call the boom phase of the economy. And that is where you see two things. One is evidence of instability or unsustainability. And the classic case in front of the 2007 recession was the housing sector. We got up to 2 million housing starts. And myself and a whole bunch of other people said, why are we doing this and who are we going to sell them to? And the answers were, we don't know who, why we're doing it, and we don't know who we're going to sell them to. And that was where we began to see that that thing was going to break up. But then in front of every business cycle peak, you have a tightening action by the Federal Reserve in which they deliberately invert the yield curve. There have been no recessions that have not been preceded by an inverted yield curve. We've had yield curve inversions without recessions, but that just goes that that's just because Saint Offset, who's the patron saint of, of forecasters, is a mean son of a bitch. I mean, but what it comes down to and until we see the Fed taking action that actually wants to restrain growth, growth will continue. Will it continue at 4%? I don't know. 2%? I don't know. We have then to get into the specifics. But the point is, is that all of the business cycle peaks that have happened since 1955, which is as far back as my model goes, have been preceded by clearly evident and documentable evidence of the onset of both the peaks and the troughs. And to get slightly ahead of the interview, uh, you had asked me before we came on the air about when I had been a contrarian. The hardest forecast I had to sell was the one in which I said that the recession, the last recession, was going to end in 2009. A forecast that I made, started making because the model was selling me that, late in 2008. And a lot of my readers said, Bob, you've lost your mind. There's no way this thing is ending ever. And I said, guys, it's gonna, it'll be over probably by the third quarter. As it turned out, they put the date at the end of the second quarter. But if you'd been listening to a forecast that was telling you that the recession was going to end, you would have been in position to take advantage of the stock market low that happened in March of 2009 and proceeded upward from there. So I will stand by the evidence on the model. Anybody who subscribes to my service is welcome to the spreadsheet that drives it. Uh, the, the data comes from, part of it comes from the Federal Reserve, part of it comes from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It is not a black box. If you can do arithmetic, you can replicate my model. And as I said, I just think it's time for people to stop this nonsense that there is no such thing as a business cycle. There is. Expansions have been of varying lengths from as short as a year to as long as 10 years. Uh, that doesn't mean you can't find where the next business cycle peak is. You know, Bob, I can confirm what you're talking about. Uh, in 2009, I remember reading uh, Barron's Magazine. They have every January, they have Barron's Roundtable, and I've read Barron's for years. And Barron's Roundtable in 2009 in January was all about Low expectations. Don't anybody expect anything from the markets, from the economy, the new normal? You've got to have low expectations. Well, then the market was up, what, I don't know, 30%, something like that, that year. Continued to go on for a few others. They were all shown wrong, and these are all people in the belly of the beast of Wall Street here. So if you were able to call that, our, our congratulations to you here. Well, Question, you. here. Question here, yeah. Bob. What do you see that the financial media often misunderstands and gets wrong about the U.S. economy and financial markets? 
Uh, how long do I have to answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> we wish you had all day here. Because uh, that's pretty much what it would take. The short, there are two answers to the question. The first is that a lot of the people who are tasked with writing about the financial sector don't know what they're doing. They are charged, and I find this particularly the case with uh, things that you see on broadcast media, whether it's radio or television, uh, they are tasked with filling a segment. And so they get people who come on and frequently will say in two consecutive segments completely different things, which might make for good TV but are confusing to people who are trying to actually get some information. The problem is is that a lot of what we talk about in the financial sector does not lend itself to sound bites. And so if you have something that's going to take two or three minutes to explain, it's going to be difficult. The other thing about it is that sometimes people don't can't tell the difference it's like at the racetrack between the tout who is trying to talk up his horse and uh, let's say a handicapper who actually has some information as to which horse uh, might win uh, this is because financial markets still, to a very large degree, function on pure arbitrage. If I know something you don't, it gives me an advantage in terms of trading. And very often the people who are giving these types of, of uh, ad- so-called advice are simply, to not to put too fine a point on it, front-running a trade. So the financial press is difficult, and I can remember when I used to do more of it when I was at Continental and the Northern, and I'd get calls from people at the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or the Financial Times or even Barron's who wanted to talk about an economic statistic. And when you'd say something that didn't quite fit the narrative that they had in mind, it was almost like they were filling in quotes in a pre-written story, they didn't want to talk to you anymore. So it, it's a complicated question. I'm sure some of your listeners are going to say, well, you know, why is Charlie having this guy on t- to rant about the financial press? But we, I think we, we don't have enough folks in charge of the financial press uh, to make sure that what is not good information does not get out there because this becomes part of the problem. It's not that it's fake news. It can be slanted news. It can be a statistic that's not really a statistic that's a, that's a press release. It's something that people say, oh, well, I just heard from so-and-so that this is going on. And when you say, well, who's so-and-so and, you know, give me a footnote, they give you this, you know, what are you talking about? So it, it's a problem. And it's something that uh, one of the reasons why I call my service No Spin is that I just try and stick to the facts as I have them. Uh, most of my material consists of you know charts and some explanation of those things that again are footnoted. If you don't believe the chart that I've made, you know you can go to the source and find the data. You know, Bob, I don't think any of our many of our listeners are going to have difficulty uh, with any negative comments or views you may have about the media, because everything we hear from them is that uh, this is a source that they feel like they can rely on because people are honest and they know what they're talking about. And we're not talking about uh, things uh, that uh, that some reporter is saying and they, they majored in English and last week they did they, they were covering a, a carnival somewhere in the Midwest and this week they're writing about the financial markets here and uh, real briefly about uh, 
top-down information. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we interviewed Danielle DiMartino Booth, who uh, wrote a, kind of an expose on the Federal Reserve. She worked there for nine years, very brave lady, and she talked a lot, not just on our show, but in her book called Fed Up, about the fact that the Federal Reserve is a top-down decision-making organization with all of these PhDs in economics, okay, but they're top-down, and everybody wants to know, well, what position has been anointed, and then we're going to line up behind that position. So we're in the world of finances, we all certainly know that that can definitely occur. We're way over for a break here. Uh, again, uh, fascinating conversation with Dr. Bob Dealey, Ph.D., founder and president of RDLB, Inc., and uh, publisher uh, of the No Spin Forecast. He's speaking to us out of the Chicago area, and uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back again. This is Charlie Wright, and we're talking with Brian Goligoski, founder, CEO of Stillwater Capital out of Santa Barbara. Brian, for those who may not be familiar with Stillwater Capital, give us 20 seconds here. So we are a registered investment advisor focused on both the big picture, but also we focus heavily on alternative investments, specifically hedged equity strategies that try to take advantage of disconnects in the market. What do your clients get that others don't get elsewhere? In hedge strategies, specifically how we offer them in a liquid, transparent form, they get exposure to the markets, but they also have downside protection vis-a-vis the short-selling aspect of it. It's hard to come by, and we think we do a pretty good job at it. Yeah, long short uh, is a challenging place. It has not done well over the past few years. What do you see moving forward with long short? Part of the challenge with long short is everybody been running on a relatively low net exposure. We don't do that. We can run at a high net long or a reasonably aggressive short. So our idea is that we're going to try to take advantage of situations like we have right now where there probably is a decent chance of some air pockets out there. And we're trying to find individual companies that are facing some headwinds that aren't priced into the market. And you used to uh, run the long short fund for Nuveen, correct? Correct. I ran a mutual fund for Nuveen for four years from inception to the end of 2012. I've been doing some form of this since 1996 when I first entered the business when I worked for Mark Strom at Strom Investment Management. Okay. So uh, you also write a newsletter this week in the markets. How can people get that? You can contact us by sending an email to contact at stillcap.com. That's S-T-I-L-L-C-A-P.com, and we'll sign you up. It's a Friday piece, a little top-down, bottom-up, and send you on your way with some happy diversions. Hey, Brian, thank you very much for joining us today, and best of luck to all of us with Productive Investing. Indeed. Thank you, Charlie. All right. Back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. Again, we're talking with Bob Dealey, Ph.D., founder and president of RDLB Economic Research, uh, and writer and publisher of No Spin Forecast. So, Bob, let's ask a a tough question here. We uh, fairly often interview people who kind of uh, they read the markets and they tell us look I don't predict I don't forecast I just read the markets and I tell people where are they where they are today your the title of yours is forecast and it is designed to forecast out front nine months how do you think that you are comfortable and confident in forecasting over the next nine months, whereas very few in the economy, not necessarily the stock market, but the economy, where very few people are willing and comfortable to do that? Well, largely because of the methodology. Uh, the, the series, the, 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 the research behind the model goes all the way back to 1955. And the process uh, that 
the model describes has been working since 1955. The forecast horizon of nine months was partly worked out because of the way that the model variables set up and interact. Perhaps the easiest way to describe it is that the model is trying to make the same type of forecast of the weather that is based on the seasons. If you live in Chicago, you know that there are seasons and more or less when they're going to happen. So if I tell you that it's going to be cold in December, that's an advisory to bring your sweater. I'm not going to tell you that it's going to snow six inches on the afternoon of uh, December 12th. That's not what the model does. So what the model is trying to tell people, and, and as I said, my client base includes not only equity managers, but bond managers uh, and people who make trucks and people who plant crops and people who do uh, other types of economic activity that is sensitive to the business cycle. And so if you're going to be in the business of making large trucks, you're going to want to know something about how the demand for freight is going to work, how what your ability to sell trucks is going to be sometime far enough ahead so that you can make some practical decisions. I feel confident with the one-year horizon uh, because the model, the, the factual base and the methodological base underneath the model have shown that that is a, re a reasonable thing to do. However, at all times, I am monitoring an array of other economic variables, political variables, and other things that might tell me that the model is forecasting long or forecasting short, you know, that depends. But from the standpoint of trying to be consistent of saying, okay, let's look out that far and what can we see on the horizon and why, I think I have the evidence, both in terms of the prior performance uh, of these variables to get individually and in combination, as well as uh, some other aspects that say, okay, I will make a forecast as to whether or not there's a business cycle peak or in some cases, or on the flip side, a business cycle trough within the forecast horizon. You know, Bob, uh, on your website, it says that uh, you forecasted uh, nine recessions. Well, one of the stories that uh, is told in the financial world is about the economist who had forecasted 18 of the last nine recessions. I um, know him. I used to work with him. <laughs> Now, nobody is going to be 100% accurate. Uh, is it easier to forecast recessions, or is it easier to, to forecast uh, rising markets here? I won't speak to the matter of rising markets. But you, what, what I would like to emphasize is that what I am trying to forecast are the turning points in the economy. Between the peak and the trough is a recession, and between the trough and a peak is an expansion. So if I can identify where those peaks and troughs are, by default, I am identifying the recessions or the expansions. Since 2008, the model has given a signal that has been unbroken that we would be in the expansion phase of the economy. And I have sat with people when we had the Greek debt crisis, when we had, you, you name the episode, the flash crash, whatever, we're going to have a recession. And I would say, no, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. So for the last nine years almost, okay, the model has done it. In the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the 1990s, when we were going through the tech boom, as we approached the peak, I was arguing with the people, I was at the northern at the time, with the people who said, we've repealed the business cycle. 
And I said, no, we haven't. We're just going to have a different lead up to it. But this thing, nothing grows to the sky. Okay? So at some point, we are going to run into a situation where the growth is going to falter. And at that point, somebody who is leveraged isn't going to be able to pay his bills. And then we're off to the races. And part of the reason why the leverage guy won't be able to pay his bills is because the Federal Reserve will have raised the cost of carry on that trade or whatever it is that he had leveraged. And this has been the case in every recession. Okay? And so my feeling is if you don't see, you know, it's like a tornado or a hurricane. This is a specific weather condition. If you don't see the particular combination of atmospheric conditions that every time have been associated with a tornado, why would you listen to someone coming out and looking at the clear blue sky and saying, we're going to have a tornado tomorrow? And you say, really? Can you tell me why? And he says, because I think so. To me, that's not good enough. As I said, I have a model. I have 700 observations that are behind the model. It's not a black box. If you want to look at it, just drop me a line. Very interesting. Uh, Bob, you, you, you are a brave man here, uh, and we really appreciate your insights. Uh, a question we like to ask all of our guests, Bob, what keeps you awake at night? The fear that the model variables don't work exactly the way they have for the last 60 years. This is part of the reason why I don't just look at those. I mean, if what would put me out of business is if we suddenly find out that uh, the bond market doesn't really care what the level of the 10-year treasury is. <laughs> okay. Well, I got a problem. But... Um, that more than anything else. The specific events that happen, if you read enough history, you know that events happen. The system is noisy. There's always some things that are unexpected. That, to me, is not the stuff that you know affects the, the, the ability of the model to forecast. Okay. And, Bob, the second question we'd like to ask all of our guests, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? I know it is difficult for a Ph.D. to narrow it down to just a couple dozen. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) give us here a recommendation or two, will you? I have two because you're not the first person who has put that question to me. The the one that I think is, is, is worthwhile, I'm sure a lot of your readers have already looked at it. But if they haven't, I find this a really good place to start for most folks who want to talk about investing. And it's the book by Peter Bernstein. It's called Against the Gods. And it's basically a history of risk and how we perceive risk and measure risk. And I think for anybody who's going to be involved in investing, you have to know that. And then the second one is one of my favorite authors. Uh, has nothing to do with economics directly. His name is Will Durant, which you may have heard of. He of wrote, course, yeah. Bas- yes. And he has a book called The Lessons of History. Yes. It's a, it's a relatively slim volume, and it's made up of relatively short, I'm, I'm going to call them essays. And to me, it is one of the most, I'm going to say, profound, and I know that sounds like a terribly snobbish thing to say. But the guy was incredibly, I mean, knowledgeable. Yes. And he has a lot of interesting things to say about a lot of interesting things. And I've, in talking to people, I, I used to actually give that book to some of my clients when I was managing money. None of them ever complained about having read it. Uh, for a lot of them, it, it was something they had never seen before. 
and I really think that it's a, it's a book that's worth your time. It has some things that are, uh, I think, germane to the process of investing the same way as uh, Bernstein talking about risk. But I think it gives you a little better perspective and something that you can then use as sort of a framework around other uh, information that you might have. I know a lot of the people who listen to your show are doing incredibly technical types of investing uh, uh, processes, and I applaud them for it. I mean, this, again, shows a level of expertise uh, that is far beyond anything I have, and I sometimes talk to those folks just to see what methodology they're using, and maybe they have some tips for me. But uh, the books that I mentioned are, are of a slightly broader perspective than some of the things you might otherwise hear recommended here. You know, uh, Bob, we really appreciate those. Peter Bernstein, um, I listened to one of his books on Audible not too long ago, and he's a very interesting historical financial writer. And, uh, you know, uh, who was the second one you mentioned? Oh, my goodness. Will Durant. Will Durant. Will and Ariel Durant, two of my favorite writers. I have read more than one volumes of theirs uh, about the history of the world, and nobody else has recommended them, and they are insightful. They are wonderful. They are well-grounded, and I don't know how anybody could have a problem with anything that they wrote, but I don't remember uh, reading the one that you just mentioned, and so I'm going to be getting that and reading it. So, Bob, uh, excellent. Excellent yeah. recommendations. Really appreciate that. Well, thank you. So, again, give us your website here and any uh, how people can reach out to you here. Well, uh, as, I, as we said, the, the website itself is www.nospinforecast, that's one word, dot com. You can also Google my name. If you Google Bob Dealey, that's spelled D-I-E-L-I, it should give you search results that point to No Spin Forecast. And uh, on the site, we have various uh, ways that you can look at how the model is put together. We have the ability for people to uh, get sample reports. There's a contact page. If you fill out that form or, or refer to, if you come to me through the contact form and uh, mention Charlie's name, I'll give you a special deal. Uh, what a deal, Bob. What a, what a guy. By the way, Bob, I did not mention at the beginning that the reason that we were introduced to you because one of our previous guests during our interview on air uh, said, oh, I follow Bob Dealey's uh, no-spin forecast and uh, really like it and found it to be you know, exceptionally valuable in what we did. And, uh, and then I went online and uh, looked at it. You and I talked. And I bought it. So, uh, <laughs> well, thank you. You've I got really some believers uh, from our show here, Bob. So, Bob, final words that. for our listeners here. Uh, the uh, there was two things because I've used these in in talking to clients. One is from Yogi Berra. <laughs> Yogi used to say, "The future ain't what it used to be." Yeah, well, we know we know Yogi Yogi's uh, sayings here. And and I think that is a very useful insight because the future ain't what it used to be is a, is an advice to say things might look, you know, life goes on, but it can be different. And this is not to use that horrible cliche that this time it's different. No, it's that you should be staying alert to uh, conditions that can change. Things evolve. The, the world today is not the world of 20 years ago, let alone 100 years ago. So you have to be adaptable and informed and resilient. 
And then the other part is, again, from Yogi, uh, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. This was because of the way that the directions to his house were such that you could go on either side of the fork and get there. But the real nugget there is when you when it's time to make a decision, make a decision. Too often we hear about paralysis by analysis. I spent time on both sides of the desk preparing forecasts and using forecasts. And one of the lessons that I learned when I was using forecasts was, okay, listen to the advisor, see what he or she has to say, but then make up your mind. And uh, I try and do that with my clients. I, you know, I'm going to ask for their attention, but I promise that I won't waste their time because I know they have far more important things to do than read an economic forecast. Bob, thank you so much. We are well over time, but it's been fascinating, a lot of fun. Thank you very much for joining us today. My great pleasure. Thank you. Again, we've been talking with Dr. Bob Dealey, Ph.D., founder and president of RDLB, uh, Inc., economic research and management consulting firm and publishers of No Spin Forecast. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. Please contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows strateginvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, again, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing. 